Hello, everybody. Welcome to your very favorite Bronze Age Spider-Man podcast. Here comes the Spider-Cast. I am your co-host, Michael, and as always, I'm joined by... Joshua Mervell. And today, we're actually going to be looking at some Spider-Ham comics from the 1980s. That's right. The first time ever. And uh, as usual, we have our special returning guest who's been on, I think, 30 in a row now, G.I. Jolie. Just here to interlope. Interlope hard. <laughs> interlope eternally mm-hmm. hope so and gi julie would you like to do the honors of of uh announcing our other very special guest this week oh yeah so we have a very very special guest someone who we wanted to have who is top of mind when i think of spider ham comics i don't know why um he will enlighten us as to you why, don't know why Oh, I, I, I don't remember um, wow. specifically why. I mean, I get the general reason why. I'm not, sh- I'm not sure you do. And it's okay. not because Ham reminds me of you, but I feel like... No, that's, that's realistic, though. I eat a lot of bacon, but that's not why you should be thinking of me. But in, yeah. In, yeah, okay. Uh, we, have, yeah. we have artist... Uh, Jay Foskett on the show. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. Has anyone heard of me? Obviously not. (laughs) So Jay Foskett has been a frequent guest of our conventions in Windsor, but we first, we've, we've, I mean, we met you years ago in Michigan, right? At Michigan, uh, Motor City Comic Con. I want to say so, yeah. I actually met Jay at Detroit Fanfare. That's right. That's right. That's right. And by meat, I mean creepily stuck a camera in his face. Did you? Uh, yeah. I, there's I th- the footage exists. I'll show you. I thought I accosted you because when I found out you were Canadian, I'm like, you're awesome. We're friends now. <laughs> friends <laughs> forever. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Maybe. Who knows? Sorry. Go on. No. So Tell let's... the folks at home about you. <laughs> who? Which? Who? Me? Yeah, you and your relation to Spider-Ham, because I honestly yeah. am doing a really shitty job. <laughs> you know, for the record, yup. So anyway, uh, yeah, so I work for Disney currently, and I had worked for Marvel uh, for a few years there. I'm still kind of part of Marvel, but I uh, drew covers for several books of theirs, including Avengers books, Deadpool, Gwenpool, Spider-Man. I've drawn interiors for Spider-Man. I've written and drawn... Uh, for Not Brand Eck, which was Marvel's humor title. Um, I've drawn Spider-Ham several times for both covers and interiors for Marvel, and I got to draw a story sort of set in the Spider-Ham universe with uh, the Miles Morales version of a Spider-Ham character. He was called Moles Morales. And... (laughs) Mm-hmm. The the writer escapes me at the moment. He was he, really hilarious if you can find it. It was uh, in all new, all different Avengers number one. Uh, it was featured in there. But anyway, so yeah. So I've actually worked on the character. Plus, I'm a lifelong fan of Spider-Ham ever since I picked up the first issue of his comic in 1985 because I'm old. So, so that happened. Very cool. Yeah, so I'll just say quickly, I... When I was growing up reading Spider-Man, I came across, you know, the advertisements, but it wasn't until I think the Marvel Tales, re- like the uh, the Spider-Man Marvel Tales reprints that had Spider-Ham as a backup that I really read any of the stories, but I always enjoyed them. So so you're saying you actually bought uh, Peter, Peter Porco, the Spectacular Spider-Man number one off the stand then? I Actually, I bought number two off of the stand, um, and... But all the issues after that, and then years later, they actually put out a collection around 2008 or nine that I got my hands on, which featured the very first appearance, which was in a book called Marvel Tales, T-A-I-L-S. That was a one shot. And that was right. in the, maybe around 84, I think, uh, about a year or so before he got his own series through Star Comics, uh, Marvel's kid imprint. So, yeah, I'm, I'm old school fan, legit. Excellent. Okay, so before we jump into reviewing these, I just want to know very quickly, uh, Josh, are you familiar familiar at all with Spider Ham? Um, a little bit here and there. Like I, I, I've I've definitely read random issues, but I've never read like a series or anything like that. So, um, okay. I'm I'm familiar with the fact that he's kind of like obviously a parody of Spider Man, and um, he's in like this own universe where a like every superhero has their own like alter animal identity. 
So right, right. And Gia Jolie, what about you? You're familiar with Spider Ham? I am, and it happened Jeez. right after. <laughs> it only happened because The Simpsons did it. The oh, Simpsons. Really? The Simpsons. Uh, in the movie. Yeah, yeah, and, oh, and Homer. Yes. I mentioned right. to somebody because um, Homer's like spider pig, and he has the spider pig, and he's putting mm-hmm. it on the ceiling, and he's talking about it. I was like, oh, "That's hilarious! Wouldn't it be cool if Spider Man was a pig?" And someone was like, "Spider Man has been a pig. <laughs> it's called Spider Ham." And I was like, "Excuse you?" Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> and then that's how I found out. I was like, whoa, this goes all the way back to the 80s. This is perfect. And then I've just been kind of obsessed with like the iconography of Spider-Ham. Mm-hmm. But not lo- a familiar yeah. reader, yeah. I love the design. Um, yeah, I, I remember like I saw the, the advertisement for Peter Parker, the spectacular Spider-Ham, number, number one, all over you know a bunch of comics in 85. But I definitely missed the Marvel Tales uh, one that we're going to start off with. But, um, you know, up until this week, I had never actually seen this cover. Um, but, yeah, we can start with this one. So um, we start off here. So 1983, Marvel Tales, starring Peter Parker, sorry, Peter Porker, the spectacular Spider-Ham. Uh, and on the cover here, we've got Spider-Ham swinging upside down. And then it says, with Hulk Bunny and Captain America. <laughs> and then, <laughs> I love it. And then at the bottom, it says, plus Goose Rider. I love this already, right? Um, this artist is, oh boy, I should have looked this up. Joe Morello, Mark Armstrong? No, it's Malloy, but I don't Steve know. Miller. Steve Miller was the cover artist for it. I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. I'm no, 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 go ahead. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Steve Mellor, so he was a real creative force behind this book, even though he didn't draw. He usually either contributed scripts or uh, or inked or something, uh, the main Spider-Ham stories, but almost all the backup stories where he did animal parodies of other Marvel characters, it was usually him and his brother, uh, hmm. Mike Mellor, doing those. Nice. So have, have you met Steve Mellor then? I haven't. We have so many mutual friends and they keep saying, yeah, we want to get Steve to meet you. But Steve's like kind of hidden away. He doesn't do comics anymore. He went to L.A. to be an actor for a long time. And so he's kind of hiding these days. But Mm -hmm. uh, he was one of the most he was a huge influence on mine. But he was a genius, uh, funny comic book artist. of the Nice. So you know what? It's funny because one thing we don't do on the show is research. We probably should. But are you aware of who created the character to begin with? Uh, well, yeah. Tom DeFalco uh, was the original writer. So okay. he kind of came up with the idea of Mark Armstrong, who was the primary artist uh, for the Spider-Ham stories. He really set the visual tone of it. Now, he's somebody you don't see in comic books besides Spider-Ham. You can look anywhere. He was kind Mm -hmm. of an underground guy, and I don't know where he is these days. Sure. But his style is like, uh, I don't know how to explain it, very much an E.C. Seeger, Popeye creator kind of style of cartooning, what is known as Bigfoot cartooning. But he uses these amazing angles and his perspective and foreshortening that he brings to this cartoony world is unlike anything else you've seen outside of like the old Scrooge McDuck comics that Carl Barks did. Right, right. Great point. Yeah, I really like this art for sure. Um, So yeah, so we'll jump back into the story. So we open up with uh, Spider-Ham kind of having a typical Spider-Man-esque adventure. He's just uh, intervening on a bank robbery. And... um, so, uh, and of course he, so this is mid, like, well, there's no origin for Spider-Ham. This is mid, you know, story for him. So he recognizes these guys as the gopher gang. So he, you know, foils the, foils their crime. Uh, we see some comedy in here with him uh, juggling these guys. And he's still doing the Peter Parker bit where he's trying to take pictures of himself as Spider-Ham so we can sell them to, what's his name? J. Jonah Jackal or? Jackal, yeah. Yeah, I, I love that. Now, one thing uh, that's different from a typical Spider-Man story is instead of sort of solving the crime on his own, he immediately gets help from Captain America, which is obviously a parody of Captain America. So Captain America comes in and helps him, uh, knocks these bad guys (laughs) out, and then we find out, which is actually quite different from the Spider-Man comics of this day, is that they immediately know each other's secret identity, which around this time in the comics, they didn't which was mm-hmm. really shocking to me, but they didn't know each other's secret identity. So here they know each other's secret identity. They're changing into their uh, costumes behind... Uh, what is this thing called? This uh, 
thing that's folded out, like a false wall. Yeah, it's like a room divider. Yeah, but it's like on yeah. top of like a building, so it's kind of funny. So anyway, so it turns out they both work at the Daily Beagle, right? Instead of the Daily Bugle. <laughs> so they go in, they, they 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 touch base with J. Jonah Jackal, and he's all, of course, upset with them, and and then he's so then he's um he's talking about how there's something else going on. There was a uh, there was a what is this a a break in at the video arcade called Video City by a guy named the Mass Marauder. And so J. Jonah Jameson sends um, Steve and uh, Peter Porker out to uh, to cover the story. So then they drive down there, and uh, as they're driving there, so they see this video game place with all these people protesting, and then right next to it is this amusement park called, I guess, Platypus. And mm-hmm. so, and feel free, if I'm missing anything, feel free to jump in, guys. So basically, yeah. so basically um, they go interview the guy who runs this amusement park, and... So, I, so are they investigating the amusement park or the video game place? It's the video game place. So a bunch of stuff keeps uh, keeps getting stolen from the video game place, and they're assuming that it's uh, it has something to do with the video games like competitors. So right. they go to talk to the amusement park uh, owner before they run into the video game arcade. Right. Okay. So right away we've got so we're starting to suspect okay so who is uh who who's who's uh behind all these uh crimes right mm-hmm. and so then they go in and they're kind of looking around and they they run into these to these other guys wait who are these guys well I just read this like 2 days ago and I don't remember who anyone <laughs> is for some reason the advocacy group pause yes 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 parents against whimsy society yeah <laughs> yeah and so, uh, and so, as they're investigating this place, the mass marauder is coming, and he's uh, he's gonna cause some more hijinks here. And so, um, what's his name here? Uh, so we we've got this supporting character here, named what is his name? The the white the white rabbit guy. Oh, that's Bruce Bunny. That's Bruce Bunny, right? So yeah. he he's looking into the back of this video game, and the mass marauder comes and like kind of locks him inside. So then he gets all. He starts to get all, uh, you know, anxious because he's in there, and this game just happens to be called the Gamma Gambit, and apparently it's actually irradiating gamma rays. And so, in this story, of course, Bruce Bunny, coincidentally, this is the origin of Hulk Bunny. So he turns mm-hmm. into Hulk Bunny before our very eyes, right? So now we've got Captain America, Spider-Man, and the Hulk all being parodied here. So this is awesome. So then Spider-Ham goes back into the room, and Hulk Bunny's there. Hulk Bunny's angry, so he's fighting. Mass Marauder is still causing trouble. Captain America is trying to stop him. So they're having a fist fight. You know, again, some great art here. Back and forth, back and <laughs> forth. It's Meanwhile, at the same time, Spider-Ham is fighting Hulk Bunny. And uh, basically, we got hijinks in action. We've got uh, a tribute to a classic Steve Ditko, Amazing Spider-Man scene in which Spider-Man was buried under all this rubble. But, he, you know, he lifted himself up with his willpower. And here, Spider-Ham does the same thing. Then Spider-Ham comes in and, you know, to help out Captain America at fight Hulk Bunny. Meanwhile, the Mass Marauder comes back and basically through more fist fighting, they eventually figure out that, wait a minute here, let me back up. They eventually figure out what's going on. They unmask the Mass Marauder and they find out that he's actually uh, Quincy Quackers. The guy who owns the video arcade, right? No, none of us remember this guy. No, no, no. This guy owns the uh, the the amusement, uh, park. the amusement park. Yeah, and right, nobody's right, been right. going there because everybody's been running over to over next right. door to the arcade. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. And then uh, what's his name is like. You should have called me. Your amusement park is a much better site for my jelly bean factory. I would have made you a millionaire, <laughs> but too late. Right? He's already turned to a life of crime. Right. And that's pretty much the climax of the story. And then at the end, and then at the end, we get uh, Spider Ham and Captain America. America, they're like, oh, we got to get back to the Daily Beagle. But then, uh, and but then, as as we as they're wrapping up, it's like, and so Captain America and Spider Ham return to their civilian identities of Steve Mouser and Peter Parker. But what of Bruce Bunny? Is he destined to live the rest of his life under the monstrous shadow of the Hulk Bunny? Will he? Can he ever again? No peace. Only time will tell. Dun dun dun. Right. I think. Uh... I, I don't know what your typical focus is on these things, but I cannot take my eyes off the artwork. And I'm looking at page 18 of the comic, 
and it shows the one guy on that motorcycle. And even in like a typical superhero comic, you do not usually see that amount of detail and perspective. And yeah, it's it's friggin' brilliant. So uh, for, and this was for a kids comic, and the writing is so sharp. Like they're talking yeah. about leftist and rightist politics and it's like right. holy crap this is mm-hmm. like howard the duck level editorial cartooning it's awesome yeah you know i want to say one thing about that panel one thing about this style of art i find is that uh, one i mean i love superhero art but one of the shortcuts of superhero art is to kind of just cut to a giant close-up of a guy's face or a big you know uh a big action shot with like no background but the thing i like about this is like you said the perspective, the attention to detail, and the fact that we see exactly where he came from, from that wall, right? We see the little action line following him. And th- there's a lot of, mm-hmm. it's almost like every panel is like a photograph. And it's it, it's like it's its own little mini story. And I think that's great. It's great sequential storytelling. It really right. is. I think the style definitely has a lot to do with that too. Um, when in in other comics, in other particularly like Spider-Man comics, because there's a little bit more uh, sense of realism in the art, uh, they it sometimes feels rushed because mm-hmm. maybe they have to add in a lot of detail, but don't have as much time. But with a simple style like this, and having like the nice clean cartoony artwork they're really able to focus on each panel and and make it the best that they can because they don't have to you know make it realistic they can you know have this like nice clean cartoony style and i absolutely love it right one of the things yeah. that kind of helped them bridge that gap between cartoony and typical marvel superhero art is that their inker mark armstrong was the penciler but joe abello uh, was the inker, and he inked a lot of straightforward superhero stuff for Marvel. So he really carried that pedigree over, and it was a nice, uh, you know, like I said, a nice bridge. I in in later issues they they go balls out cartoony, and of course I'm all for that. But right now this is a very interesting uh, mesh, I think. Yeah, it kind of does feel like a middle ground, like. Like the style of the art feels uh, cartoony and like the look of the characters, but how it's kind of laid out and um, what's happening feels more along the lines of a superhero comic. So it, it does kind of have that like 50-50 feel. Well, you know, even if you want to talk about like if you go to original page 14, like this is a great page with uh, the the Captain America immersed in like smoke there and uh, mass marauders running away from him. And if you notice, you know, you want to talk about storytelling, he's running in the exact direction of the next panel where Spider-Ham is up, you know, Jay Fosgate, you mentioned the uh, the perspective there. Look at the perspective of Spider-Ham looking down at uh, Hulk Bunny. Then Hulk Bunny, you know, smashes through the almost the side of the panel there. And it just, it all fits together perfectly, right? Then it leads mm-hmm. right into Spider-Ham and that leads right into the next panel. It's perfect. It's really beautiful cartooning. It, it definitely harkens back to the golden age of kids' comics where they actually cared about the artwork. Right. Uh, Gia Julie, what do you think of this art? Oh, I love it. I've just been sitting here listening to you guys talk about it. It's like, I don't know what I like. Oh, no, I definitely know what I like better. It's like when the art is shitty and the Mm -hmm. conversation tearing apart is really good or when the art is this fabulous Mm -hmm. and you get to listen to somebody who's like in the industry who we get to talk to about like super awesome art that is the conversation i really like to have despite liking the other kind of conversation this was a really cool one too so it's Mm -hmm. like nice yeah and it it really to me it's helpful when the cartooning is cartooning and a little less illustrative uh like sort of like trying to be half realist because then the colors get helped out a lot more and Mm -hmm. um it, it, it's not such a like having shades of colors isn't such a big deal anymore, even though they are present here. Like, I, I like I don't know everything. Everything just works. Everything is almost like perfect. It's like flawless. It's like yeah. Jose it's, Garcia Lopez. Right? Oh but, yeah, good good comparison. Mm-hmm. Yeah, every line. Just, every yeah, you perfect. just expect Mattel level perfection. The lines are tight. The colors are tight. Everything is tight. There's like almost no flaws. And that is what I enjoy to read in comics. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. 
Now, here's the thing. The story actually was really good, but one thing I personally would have preferred is if they did a, a, a satire that was a little bit closer to actual Spider-Man comics. Like, the fact that they brought in Hulk and Captain America, it was, it was nothing wrong with it, but it just wasn't ideal for me. You know, I would rather have seen just a straight satire mm. of Spider-Man. Did anyone else feel the same way or no? Um, I, I'm fine with it because they're doing their own thing with these characters, and I think mm. that... Um, uh, they're using these well-established uh, characters. That way they don't have to sit you down and describe to you what happened with them, right? Like, it's Spider-Man, but he's a pig. Okay, I- I'm, 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 I'm on the same page. Like, we don't need to go in and kind of, like, explain what's going on. Uh, Cap- Captain America, like, okay, he's got the same abilities as, as Captain America, and, uh, okay, he's, he's, you know, a journalist now instead of a soldier. Perfect. Uh, the Hulk, we like, they don't sit and explain, you know, everything in like the the Hulk's backstory, you know, who the Hulk is instead of like doing experiments with gamma radiation, it's this video game. That's a gamma video game that turns him into the Hulk. Like, I, I, I think it's fun and it definitely doesn't take, take anything away from me because it's again, this like alternate reality. So, right. Right. I think it's just absolutely fun. Oh, totally. And mm-hmm. and if you go throughout the rest of the Spider-Ham series, you'll learn that they they continue this line of thought. It's like, yes, we can just do animal versions of the Marvel characters, but we have the opportunity to sort of create this their own reality here. So um, and even though if in Captain in the Captain America comics, at least in the 80s, if not the 70s and 80s, he was a cartoonist. Um, that, that right. was sort of his alternate, you know, if he had an alter ego, so to speak. But, um, you know, later on, you find out Spider-Ham's origin is that he was originally a spider who was bitten by a radioactive, radioactive Aunt pig. May uh, pig. <laughs> uh, because she was, yeah, Aunt May was like the scientist trying to uh, create like this atomic hairdryer for salons. <laughs> And then she gets radiated and bites Peter and then the spider and he turns into Spider-Ham and pretends to be her nephew so because she lost her uh, memory. And it's just it's crazy Mad Magazine level stuff, but it's just kids will buy it. You know, kids right. are like, hey, that's fun. That's silly. Why not? So, the, you know, that's the thing is I I wish uh, I mean, is there I don't even know if there's a Spider-Ham comic right now. Is there? I don't think there is. There right? was. Yes, okay. there there was. And they were trying to sort of connect it to into the Spider-Verse, the animated mm. film, um, which is fine. And I did like that interpretation of Spider-Ham. But they changed the whole gag there is that he knows he's a cartoon character. And that's not mm. what they do in the, the comic. In the comic, it's like, no, they're all superhero animals. Right. You right, know, right. That he doesn't okay. fight with a wooden mallet and you know acme bombs or anything so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like i like into the spider-verse but even just the the idea of having to tie it in they shouldn't have to you should be able to pick it up and just understand exactly what's going on without any explanation right yeah mm-hmm. now i skim read the ghost the goose rider story do we want to talk about this briefly i i love the goose rider okay. story, particularly because that is steve mellor's brainchild right there right and he did so. This you guys might appreciate this. He did an Alpha Flight parody. Um, that oh. was probably my favorite of all the backup Spider Ham stories. It was called Awful Flight. Awesome. And, <laughs> so basically, you have animal versions of all the Alpha Flight characters, except they're all wearing uh, toques. Oh, oh my nice. god, that's that's amazing. And wow. it's it's a big Canadian parody, and it's absolutely wonderful. You can find the the thing in its entirety online if you look it up. Plenty of people have shared oh, it, so highly encouraged. I'm looking that up. Yeah, awesome. yeah. <laughs> that, yeah, that might it, have started my appreciation of Canada. Tell you the truth. Really? Wow, it's yeah. beautiful. Uh, I love are, it. Are we all that we were cracked up to be? Oh yeah! Oh god, better. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> um, yeah, and obviously this style is is quite different from uh, the the main story art, right? Like this is much different style of art. Um, do you have a much preference? more Betty Boop. I, you know, I I honestly prefer this. Okay. Um, because it is less confined to you know proper uh, not anatomy, proper perspective, and things like that. Right. Um. But both were big influences on me. But this one in particular, God, I absolutely love Steve Miller's art on this. It's very Betty Boop, very Fleischer Brothers, and nobody was really doing this at the time. Right. And he was so signature to him. It was amazing. Excellent. 
So yeah, so so obviously, and I was really looking forward to this, and it was mostly because of the art. The story was a, it was actually like you said, it was a little bit more political than I thought it would be. So I highly recommend this, not just for adults, but for or not just for kids, but for adults as well. And I know that there's a resistance by cool guys and adults that you know they don't want to read a Spider-Ham comic, but this is definitely something that anyone could enjoy. Jay, I'm sure you'd agree with that, right? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, that's the great thing about all the Spider-Ham stories is even even though they're mainly focused in the star line of comics, which were pretty safe, pale uh, kid comics for Marvel, Spider-Ham had that sort of Muppety subversive edge that adults mm. could enjoy on its own level. Right. Uh, Josh, what do you think? Um, yeah, no, I, I would definitely recommend this this uh, this comic. It was really fun. Uh, had a lot of like cartoony moments. I think the the story is super fun. The characters are great and dynamic. The art is fantastic. So it's a definite recommend for me. Sweet, GI Jolie. What do you think? Um, I love it. I will recommend this to everybody who says, "Hey, should I read Marvel Team Up?" And I'll be like. No, no. Read Maybe Marvel tales. Read Marvel tales because this is what I assume team up would feel like. Mm-hmm. I uh, I want to mention I spent all the years that I worked at Marvel, which wasn't in a whole long time, but just you know two or three years I was doing stuff for Marvel. I never stopped hounding them about letting me do Spider Ham, and it came nice. close a few times. So oh. but, yeah, nice. All right. Well, uh, with that. So we all recommend it. Now we're going to move on. So there was a, it was actually a two-year gap, 1983, then to 1985. Now we get Peter Porker, the Spectacular Spider-Ham number one, with this glorious cover by Michael Golden, one of my favorite artists. Um, Jave, what do you think of this cover here? Hold on one moment. I got a... Oh, you got a... I had it open and I just... Okay, no problem. (laughs) All right, so this cover right here... Is that the one you're talking about, issue one of Spider-Ham? Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, did Michael Golden do it? I didn't even know that. I can't yeah. find a signature on there. Yeah, I guess that... Because uh, I looked it up uh, on whatever, marvel.fandom.com. But yeah, that's Michael Golden, yep. That explains it, because it's it, it almost felt like uh, Mark Armstrong's stuff, but looking at it up close, no. I can definitely see. Uh, it's brilliant. It's beautiful. Yeah, I like it. Big fan. Uh, yeah, so Josh, you can take it from here. All right, yeah. So uh, we start the comic off with uh, Spider-Ham developing some pictures, and he runs down to the Daily Beagle to uh, show them to J. Jonah Jackal. Also, <laughs> forgive me if I accidentally say any of the uh, the their like, alter ego names and say J. Jonah Jameson or Peter Parker instead, because... I'm so used to saying those names. It's kind of like ingrained in my brain. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, JJ doesn't really want the the pictures because they paint Spider Ham in too much of a, a you know a good light. So he uh, tells him he's got a new mission for him. Him and a bunch of his these new interns that he's hired, which I'm assuming these are like I I I couldn't find or like. They're not parodies, right? So these are like brand new characters for this comic. Okay, got you. So you have uh, J. Jonah Jackal's son, J. Jeremiah Jackal Jr. Uh, (laughs) You have a character named uh, Bunsen Bunny. And then you have Adam Stray. Uh, And the three of them including J. Jonah Jameson and uh, Peter Porker. They hop aboard a plane because they're investigating these uh, airplane disappearances that have been happening over the Bermuda Triangle. Or is that the Bermuda? They make up like a yeah, new... Yeah, it's like I a, can't remember what it's called. something close to it, yeah. Yeah, so it's like this Bermuda Triangle type of thing. So um, we find out that it's... Uh, the sinister Doctor Doom, who ha- who is who is behind all of these airplane disappearances. Um, so uh, this like really crappy plane uh, that uh, Jackal has has used crashed into the island, and uh, everybody on board goes and tries to uh, uh, find safety or like some sort of civilization so they can get off this island, and they are then knocked out and captured by a group of kangaroos 
<laughs> which is uh, fantastic. So they're brought over to Dr. Doom's uh, lab where he kind of reveals his plan to them. Um, or I guess his backstory, sorry, about how he, uh, how he came across all of these kangaroos and it's absolutely ridiculous. Like normally in these, (laughs) these Marvel comic stories, they have these elaborate backstories and they go in depth and it's so painful to read because it's boring. Like I, I don't care, but this is so fun because it is like this long drawn out backstory, but it's so ridiculous. And the events that are happening are just so wild that it's absolutely hilarious. And I loved reading this like weird, like uh tangent from Dr. Doom. So uh, he's uh, he's, fighting this version this universe's version of the fantastic four uh named lovingly the fantastic fur yeah (laughs) and they they attach to defeat to defeat dr doom they attach these like anti-gravity gravity machines to him and he flies all the way up into space and then by the time the machines crap out he falls back to earth and lands in australia and because he comes from the sky, these kangaroos think that he's a god. So they start like mm-hmm. bowing to him. So when he comes back to Latvia, he brings a bunch of kangaroos with him and they kind of like become part of his crew and in, in his like goons. Hold on, Josh. Yeah. Can I just point yeah. out that his little it's called the Royal Kangaroo Court. The Royal yes. Kangaroo Court. I know, right? Isn't that great? The Royal Court of the Kangaroos. Like, come on. That's hilarious. It's great. And, and like, even the kangaroos themselves are, like, these weird stylized versions of this universe's kangaroos. Well, they, they kind of, if you think about it, they look like aboriginal art. Right. So that's really well, they, they kind of do. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it, like, tribal markings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so the our, the gang is thrown into jail, and we learn from some of the other prisoners that uh, Doctor Doom has been experimenting on uh, the crewmates of the uh, other planes that he's stolen, and they've come back, and their brains have just been kind of rattled, and they haven't really made much sense when they've come back to the cells. So we learn that Doctor Doom has been stealing these planes to. Um, try to get a band going to impress the kangaroos. <laughs> um, and and uh, he's been strapping them to these machines. And these this machine doesn't make them good at music. It just rattles their brains enough so that they make noise and move around like he's seen in rock music videos, <laughs> um, which is fantastic. So... Uh, the, the people that he's taken, uh, he's experimented on, it's not really working on them. So he takes the three kids. Um, and uh, I can't remember, how does J. Jonah Jackal get knocked out? Oh, he tries to uh, escape <laughs> and he bangs his head off the rails and knocks himself out, which gives Peter Porker the opportunity to escape and don his costume and become Spider-Ham, where he uh, then starts fighting with Dr. Uh, Dr. Doom's goons and the kangaroos and uh, the kids, he helps the kids escape and they use the giant magnet that they've been using to capture the airplanes to uh, 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 magnetize Dr. Doom and he starts screaming and the kangaroos absolutely love it and it turns out that this has been this like rock concert that they've been waiting for. So they record it and turn it into a song which is like playing on the radios when they return back to New York, which I assume it's, it's New York still. Yeah. uh, I think it's New Yak. New Yak. Oh, amazing. (laughs) New Yak city. Amazing. I am pretty sure I'm right about that. That's fantastic. Um, so yeah, we kind of get a, a nice little conclusion here. They, they all go back to New Yak and, uh, the daily Beagle has printed this magazine or this newspaper of, um, of what happened on the island in Dr. Doom screaming and it becomes this sensational hit and everybody's listening to this song on the radio. Uh, people in the streets have got their boom boxes out. It's even playing on the radio and 
Peter Porker is, you know, riding up to the offices of Daily Beagle. Even after he gets off the elevator, he's kind of wondering where this is coming from. And we end of Peter, Por- uh, we end with Peter Porker and the kids walking into J. Jonah Jackal's office, and he's also dancing to the song. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah, it's it's really fun. Um, I I I think that possibly the previous story was a little bit stronger in my opinion um this one was still really fun i think it was just a little bit more like jumbled not as straightforward as the other one but it still had a lot of like funny moments and and was really clever and um the art as well was still dynamic and fun great uh we should point out quickly Oh, same artist. Yeah, same artist, mm-hmm. same inker, right? Or different inker? Yes. Nope. That's still the same. Joe okay. Bello was the inker. Okay. But and th- am I crazy? But does it say that Larry Hama colored both of these? No. It's it's the it's he's the editor. It's it's confusing the way that they group the things together. But he's the editor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing I'd like to point out. So this is the first appearance of the Fantastic Fur, but not the last appearance. Okay. They, and they got their own backstory in a future issue of Fantastic uh, of, of Spider-Ham, but they were inconsistent in that they were still called the Fantastic Fur, uh, but uh, Mr. Fantastic became Mooster Fantastic instead of the fox that he is here. <laughs> Okay. Um, and it's actually funnier. Um, and it was drawn by uh, Mike Mellor, Steve's brother. Same okay. style. I think Steve actually penciled it and Mike inked it. But it is hilarious. Um, I'm trying to think. Oh, uh, it was the Simeon Torch. Uh, the, <laughs> the Thang, which he was supposed to be a bear like he is here. And uh, Miss uh, uh, Fantastic Girl was Fantastic Gorilla. And, and Mooster Fantastic. So... You'll also notice in this picture, there's also a fifth member, and that's Forbush. Forbush man. Yes, isn't that cool? How they snuck yes. him in there. He's yes. a good fit for that. So, <laughs> isn't Jolie and Josh? Do you know who Forbush man is? Uh no, uh, not that, not that I can think of any. No, Jolie well, didn't make you any read a comic book. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you um, tell me just like a vague description of what they look like. I might okay. recognize it. Let me just throw this out there real quick because we need we need a history lesson here. Mm-hmm. Four Bushman was Marvel's Alfred E. Newman when they did their own sort of humorous uh, comic book uh, called Not Brand Eck. And I got to draw the very or I was one of the artists on the very last issue of Not Brand Eck, which came out in 2016, I think. And um, I got to do all the Four Bushman content. So he's basically this little numbskull cartoony superhero with a pot on his head and long hmm. underwear and boots and everything. So, yeah. Fascinating, I know. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm going to need a little more <laughs> description. And he's also, uh, he's a parody of, um, what's it called? Uh, oh, geez. Red Tornado, right? No, no, but um, the original. You know, that was DC. The original Red Tornado, if there was a parody of him, it was Ma Hunkle. Well, no, that's what I mean. Yeah, Ma Hunkle was the original Red Tornado. There was a Red Tornado. Well, no, you're right. You're right. Because there was a Red Tornado later on as well. Right, but yeah. um, but yeah. no, I don't think, I don't, I think it's just a color coincidence, honestly. Okay. Mm. But Marvel and DC borrowed iconography from one another rampantly. So who can right. really say? Right. So yeah, and so in Forbush Man, Irving, so Irving Forbush was kind of like, yeah, like a, a, a mascot for Marvel. And then Forbush Man was like the superhero secret identity, and they brought him back for remember what the, yeah, okay. yeah, that yep. was like what the was like the '80s uh, Marvel Mad Magazine, and it, I, I have thought, all of them. Yeah, yeah, it was great. I got all the original issues. Josh, did you read it? Um, no, I not all the way through. I've, I okay. I'm familiar with it though. Yeah, one of my good buddies was an artist on there, Hillary Barda. Oh, uh, I yeah, he's a great artist. Yeah, yeah, he's terrific. He resides in Chicago, and he did like a lot of Plastic Man stuff for DC, and he's done. He's worked for Bongo Comics for the last few years on the Simpsons. Worked on the SpongeBob comics. So, yeah, his stuff's all over. What the great, great stuff. Um, so anyway, yeah, and now I should point out the writer for this issue, it's not Tom DeFalco, it's Steve Skeets, who I'm most familiar with from his scripts for Aquaman, going all the way back to the late 60s and early 70s. 
Um, and of course, he's also a Facebook friend. He doesn't know who I am, but I've got him on Facebook. <laughs> but um, I'm, I'm going to, I don't know his age, but I'm going to guess that when he did the story, he had to be around 30, mid 30s, maybe. Based on this story, I'm going to guess he didn't think much of MTV. What do, you, what do you guys think? Do you think it was just a little bit of old man yelling at a cloud, sort of criticizing music and music videos at the time? Yeah. yeah. Mm. That's, that's the vibe I picked up. I'd be surprised otherwise. You know, it's so funny. It was still funny, but yeah, I definitely picked up that vibe. I mean, um, I, I do that in my own comics, so I understand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Stupid Zoom. What did you think? What story did you like better, this one or the one, the previous one? Mm, because it was a tighter story, uh, the previous one. But mm. because... This one was a little more outlandish. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's just like margins, of, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. they're very close. Like I and, like this one because it's it's ridiculous, but it works, right? And you know it's funny because uh, Jay, we'll have to have you back on in a future episode when we talk about Spider Man. But there's some sloppy, confusing, boring Spider Man comics from these from this time period. And this comic, I mean, you know, there's that typical, like we said, cool dude that doesn't want to read cartoon animals. This, These two stories we just read are more, better structured, right? They're funnier. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not boring for one second. Like, everything contributes to moving the story forward. And, you know, it's just funny that people tend to kind of dismiss funny animal comics but i think both of these so far are really good i think spider ham would have succeeded more in this period in the 80s if his comic had been released directly through marvel and not through its star comics imprint because no adult took the star comics seriously right. and it's unfortunate because there was good stuff done in there but not enough a lot of it was just yep. uh schlock so right. i remember even even though like as a kid i was buying gi jones transformers and i remember as soon as i hit high school I mean, granted, most kids, as soon as they hit high school, they dropped comics altogether because they were ashamed to be reading them in the 80s. But when I hit high school, I was ashamed to read G.I. Joe and Transformers because those were known as toy comics. So it's probably the same thing as no no teenager wanted to read a star comic because that was for kids, right? Yeah, theoretically, yeah. So. Yeah. But anyway, again, I recommend this comic. Uh, Jay, I'm assuming you rec- recommend it? Highly. G.I. Joe Lee? Yeah, <laughs> yes, they do. Yep, and Josh. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Oh, and by the way, I found Michael Golden's signature. It's on the bottom of the of the wing that's facing the reader, at the, and it's all, it's in, under the uh, shadow. Yeah. That is an elaborate signature. Any signature yep. that requires a mechanical <laughs> compass is not worth the effort. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it looks like a, like a, a glyph. Yeah. Yeah. Like, this is not the Da Vinci Code. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> but anyway, so now, so unfortunately, Peter Porker only lasted 17 issues. I'm not sure what the sales were like. But starting with Marvel Tales starring Spider-Man, number 201, they started doing, I, I guess I'm assuming that the stories they they were reprinting were shorter than the average Marvel story at the time. I'm going to guess they were about 17 pages, and a, a typical Marvel story was 21, I think. And so they had some pages to fill at the back. So, right? And this was original. These are original stories, too. Um, yes. It's not like they were reprinting old content, but yes. Right. Yeah, so the Spider-Man story would have been a reprint, and then the Spider-Ham story would have been brand new. Right, right. So, and, and Jay, you volunteered to summarize this one, right? Um, well, okay, so plot-wise, uh, what I can tell you is how it starts off is, at this point, Spider-Man had gotten his black costume, and that was becoming pretty cool. This was after Secret Wars and all that. And th- when they decide they're going to bring back uh, Spider-Ham as a backup feature in Marvel Tales, they're like, hey, let's put him in the black costume, and that'll be kind of fun. So they got to play off the gag of, oh, he's got B.O. because he's sweating at a hot black costume. And look, his dandruff is very unsightly on his yeah. black costume. Yeah. So it's a great visual gag, and the black costume doesn't really last. But I thought it was great that they started off, and, and starting off with the parody of the Shocker, which is Shock Kerr, because he's a dog, obviously. Um, 
Now, beyond that, I don't remember much of the plot beyond that. I was just so absorbed into the fact that, hey, they brought him back when I thought he was gone for good. Um, they have a they have a duck get murdered here. That's pretty uh, for for what's supposed to be a kids comic. That's pretty dark, and I, I can appreciate that. So, well, there's also a really sharp, not sharp, but it's actually a, a, a it's a modern. It, it's like this could fit in today. A parody, right, of an extreme right wing mm-hmm. politician here. Uncle uh, Scram. Uncle Scram, yeah, he's like, America, greatest nation on earth, except for one thing, foreigners. Everywhere you look, nothing but dad gum <laughs> foreigners with their loud music and their scotch plaids and their transparent noodles. It's like, excuse me, I'm just going to take my transparent <laughs> noodles and head off to Canada. <laughs> right. That's so yeah, This is a very harsh criticism of uh, xenophobia and a lot of right-wing thinking that unfortunately has just gotten worse today, but... Well, this is the tail end of the Reagan era and you know, right. making way for the Bush era. So Right. And you know what? We didn't really touch on this in the last issue, but they bring bring back the same supporting cast, right? The, these um, these guys here. Did, mm-hmm. did we touch on the fact that this one guy, the black cat, is clearly... He, he says in the previous story he's from the inner city. I mean, yeah, it's definitely a little wincing. Um, yeah. and, and I knew that going in. It's like, oh, so you're the black cool character that every 80s cartoon ended up with. You know, got to slap right. a five when you walk in a room. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, even the fact that, like, he's Adam Stray, like he's a stray cat. Right. Yeah. And like, yeah. it's just, yeah, it's. That was the 80s, man. That's, you know, we can, yeah. even in kids comics, you could make jokes like that. And uh, just. You know, that was 30 plus years ago. So you can see that wouldn't swing today. Right, right. But yeah, unfortunately, the story kind of gets shut, cut short before it can even get going because it is only a few pages long. But it's pretty much, I mean, I see it like, I mean, I I, I, I will keep reading, but I can only predict it's going to be just as good as the other ones, right? This is Steve Malora on script. Uh, Joe Albello on art, so it's the same creators from the previous. We don't part. have uh, Mark Armstrong anymore. He disappeared from comics at this point, and I definitely think his presence is missed visually. Whereas yes. Joe Abello does the best job possible, but um, his strength is not straight cartooning. So I think the art's actually weaker without Mark's pencils and layouts underneath. Uh, and that was my criticism going forward reading all because I would buy Marvel Tales just for the Spider-Ham stuff. Right. So how many, uh, so Mark Armstrong, did he end up drawing most of the regular series then, like the 17 issues? Almost all of it. Fred Hembeck did one issue, which if you're familiar okay. with Fred's work, it's, he's very amateurish in his cartooning, but it's kind of like Gary Larson in The Far Side. You love it because it's so bad. Right. Um, and yeah. so that issue was kind of ugly. I wasn't real fond of that. Okay. But mostly it was Mark Armstrong steer, steering the whole thing. Yeah, we actually reviewed, do you remember the issue of Spectacular Spider-Man that uh, Fred Hembeck did? It was like 80-something. Yes. Yeah, we did that one a few weeks back. So I have that one, yeah. Uh, we love the scene when the fly, remember he gets distracted by the spilt soda pop in, yeah. in his J. Jonah Jameson's office and he has to lick it up. That was so funny. Like, I'm going to get you, but wait. Yeah. Just let me lick up right after I lick up the spilled pop on the corner of this desk. Right. See, and Fred, Fred Hembeck was a great comedic writer, better than he was a cartoonist. I would have liked to have seen somebody Sergio Aragones come in and do some mm. Spider-Ham or do anything more from Marvel. He was always more budsy with uh, the DC guys, I found. so. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, he would have been great. Right. Yeah, I think the whole time we've been talking about um, uh, the art, that is who, uh, like, what did you call it, Jay? You called it Big Feet? Yeah, Bigfoot cartoon. Yeah, that's who I've been thinking of, and I could not think of his totally. name, Sergio Aragones. Yeah. Well, if you look at like the comic strips from the golden age of newspapers, so like the early turn of the 20th century, that's the style of cartooning you're going to see, and that's where the Bigfoot cartooning kind of came into play. Like early Popeye. Yeah. Hmm. What about, um, what's his name? Um, Har- not uh, R. R. Crumb, Robert Crumb. I mean... Crumb carried, yes, he brought that, that cartooning back into the mainstream in the early 60s. So um, right. he, he was a big student of that himself. Awesome. Yeah, he's a great artist. And obviously, yeah, like that famous image, keep on trucking. Everyone knows that image, right? The uh, Mr. Natural. 
Yes. The, the Bigfoot walk, yeah. So, so yeah, there's not really much to say about this story. It's only a few pages long, but, you know, I, I don't know what it is about modern readers, but they complain anytime you publish a reprint. I love reprints. Me especially, too. Yeah, like, especially the new ones, how they're usually only a buck each. But even back in these days, I was buying Marvel Tales because... You know, nothing better than a classic John Romita uh, senior drawn story. Even this one is Chris Claremont and John Byrne. You know, a classic Spider-Man Marvel team up. And of course, you're getting some new material from Spider-Ham. So how, why would anyone complain, right? This is good stuff. Well, my favorite books, like what started me out collecting uh, superhero comics in the early 80s was Marvel Saga, which was all reprints. Like, oh, you remember Marvel Saga? Yeah. Yes, they would summarize... Yeah, like they'd basically go, you know, they'd summarize a few issues of Hulk, then they'd go to Spider-Man, then Avengers, and they basically just tell you, like you could get the whole story just by reading Marvel Saga. How And right. how it all knit together with other characters and other, you know, whatever. And it was great. It was the best education I had to the Marvel Universe and why I became such a huge fan of that, more so than DC. Right. Is that still so, is that still true today? It is with me, yeah, big time. Um, I'll, I'll always love Marvel because that's what uh, my earliest appreciation of superheroes came from. Interesting. Okay, so I, I have another question because uh, we we've debated about like debated about different art styles over the years, and we have some people uh, who have no affinity for cartoony art in any way. I want to know what your opinion is of somebody like, for example, Alex Ross. What do you think of Alex Ross? I think beautiful artwork. I love his artwork. I think he's a a, kind of a poor sequential storyteller. I think that everything he does is a pinup shot and the panels do not necessarily carry, you know, the story necessarily without the text. You wouldn't necessarily be able to follow his sequentials at all. Um, And that's fine. You know, I mean, he started off in advertising, which was the the singular image had to tell the whole story. But he treats all of his panels that way. And he has never had really clever layouts or his panels never really carried the action as well. It was just beautiful to look at. Right. Yeah, I'll have to agree with that. It almost be it'd be interesting to see, you know, because we talk about this, too, about the different steps of comic book art. It'd be interesting to see somebody do a rough breakdown of just the story and then have him kind of draw his realistic figures over that. And I wonder if, how that would work, you know? That'd Maybe be that cool. would help his, yeah, help his storytelling. Yeah. Well, but, yeah. you know, unless his ego is big enough that he would be like, I'm never going to do that. But yeah. I think that'd be cool to see. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, I recommend not just the story, but I recommend Marvel Tales as a reprint book. So, um, you know, this is back in a time when reprints were a lot more common for marvel and this is definitely a fun book uh gi julie would you recommend this yeah do you know what? i have a question when they reprinted them do they reprint these ads too no the ads oh. were were relevant to the time so that and is- i love the ads in that book by the way because mm. even the ads have like a one of the ads in particular it was like for a model car or a remote control car that's what was, i'm talking about holy crap that is vintage 80s cartooning there and they don't draw like that anymore and i miss it i love uh, I, I also love like the tang one too yeah it's great yeah. power of be what is it be orange be the yeah, most be orange, a big, orange be. big shot with tang yeah <laughs> Yeah, yes. it's just so. There's just there's so much um, encouragement of power in the most mundane of things. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, and it's nope, just I, yeah. when it, when you do it in a uh, when you cartoon the art, it's uh, it's it's it has it takes on a strange message. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, it's like I don't know how to describe it, but this car one is the one that I was like, build a reputation. And you kind of scroll down, and you're like, yeah. Oh my god, <laughs> that kid's He's... gonna get laid. Yeah, it's like <laughs> he may only be 12 years old, but does he have an 80s? Did he build an 87 yeah. Mustang GT or an 81? <laughs> you know, he because sure did. when you're 12 years old, girls think you're cool if you play with model cars. obviously that's the message that's the takeaway so yeah like i said jay we'd love to have you back on uh are you a big spider-man fan as well yes i am very much so spider-man's probably my favorite 
uh, non-smashy superhero, whereas the Incredible Hulk and Thing are probably neck and neck for my favorite smashy superhero. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, if only we, if we would have known that, we would have had you on when Spider-Man teamed up with Hulk or Thing, but maybe Mm -hmm. there'll be another one coming up. That's anytime, anytime. Okay, we'll keep that in mind for sure. Uh, anything else, Josh, you, do you want to ask Jay anything else before we wrap up? Um, uh, I guess not particularly about, uh, uh, spider ham or anything, but, um, I guess I, I, I'm familiar with your work with, uh, the rough side of the rock. Yeah. Fraggle rock. Yeah. Uh, cause I read that a few years back when I was working on one of the Jim Henson Fraggle rock spinoff TV shows. So I was working on doozers for a little while and, uh, uh, yeah, I, I was interested in, like I had watched Fraggle Rock as a kid and wanted to, you know, get some more like Fraggle Rock content. And I, uh, I found, I found that book. Yeah. It's, it's really fun. Thank you. I'm mm-hmm. uh, so I'm a lifelong Henson fan. We don't have time to get into it, but believe me, I, <laughs> I am That's another podcast. Oh, it, it is all unto itself. But they the Henson company actually asked for me uh, through Boom to work on uh, one of the issues for that series. So I got to write and draw my own Fraggle Rock issue, which was beyond a dream come true. And a lot of my friends ended up as background fraggles in the book, like Jay Clark, oh, no who way. does an Elegant Weapon podcast, is in there, and and people like that. A lot of Canadian friends are in there. Honestly, that's oh, great. Now, I also I haven't seen it yet, but I want to know what is your opinion of the Netflix uh, Dark Crystal show? Absolutely wonderful. Uh, it is Jim Henson would be thrilled that they did that because it is the perfect accompaniment to the original movie and expands on everything that he would have wanted to expand on i'm confident to say nice Mm. nice. yeah it's fantastic yeah it's beautifully done i mean a perfect mix of puppetry and cg and the story itself is fantastic too and i really love when um it, it is a show obviously aimed at kids but it's not a a childish show like they they they're they tell the story that they want to tell and that's all that matters and it doesn't matter what age demographic you're you're in you will enjoy this show for sure what's one of the things i learned sorry i didn't mean to interrupt no no no, go ahead i was gonna i found out that the henson company approached netflix about they're, they're like hey what do you guys think about doing a cg animated dark crystal sequel and they're like actually you know you guys do puppets right why don't you do with puppets <laughs> So nice. Netflix had to sell Henson on that, and they're like, "Okay." So, <laughs> oh, that's that's interesting too, because the the second see it didn't get renewed for a second season; it got it canceled. Was, it was only because of cost and COVID. Right. Oh, really? Okay. So I didn't realize that COVID was was a factor as well. Okay. Canceled a lot of their stuff because they cannot readily put anything back into production right now. Right. And and it was a very expensive show, but even with the Mm -hmm. high numbers they got, it was almost impossible for them to break even or turn any profit. Wow. So there's no chance of it coming back then? Um, I wouldn't say never, but, uh, it's done at Netflix. I can say that much for a fact. I've had a lot of friends that worked on the series in one capacity or another. So, um, no, not through Netflix, but I do think it's got more life. Nice. Hope so. Yeah. I I hope so. Yeah. So if anyone, so do you want to tell us if anyone wants to follow you or do you have anything coming up you'd like to talk about? Well, right now, uh, for the last two years, I've been working on a series of all ages uh, books written. I, I never met the actual writer, but I'm the illustrator on them. They're uh, young Donald books. So Donald Duck and the Disney characters when they're around about 12 years old. And uh, I've been drawing these for the last two years. So hopefully they'll be available in North America in the coming year. Right now, they're they're being released in Belgium and Germany and France and wow. Europe Europe is crazy about the Disney stuff so they got first hmm. release and we'll see when it comes out here and, and I'm also still working on Bodie Troll which uh, because of COVID and, and other factors has been pushed back and back and back but it's still going to happen Nice. Yeah, you're, and you're talking about Bodie Troll animated not just the book right? I'm just talking about the book there's nothing planned oh. for animated right now Um, though I have been in talks with a friend of mine who is an animation director in Dublin, Ireland, and, uh, we're hopeful. Okay. 
Well, that's, that's great. Amazing. That's great. Well, like we said, we're definitely going to have you on back again, and we'll keep our eyes peeled for any Hulk or Thing team-ups for sure. Anytime. Now that we know <laughs> that you're, they're your favorite smashy superheroes. Smashy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, yeah, definitely. Uh, so, yeah, we'll have you back again, and we'd like to thank you again for joining us. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. And, Josh, you can take it from here. Yeah, we also want to thank you guys for listening to the podcast. Uh, it really helps when you leave us a review over on apple podcast or you can drop us a line on twitter at at hct spidercast uh please let us know what you guys think about the episode uh and the comics that we're reading as well we do definitely want to keep that conversation going that's right and we want to thank gi jolie again for joining us as usual and we'll see you again next week gi jolie yeah probably all right <laughs> and until next monday this has been here comes the spider cast all right see you then oh!